Well, it was Saturday, the 7th of October, when I was there lounging on the sofa watching TV for a programme called Britain's Got Talent, The Champions. Now, I enjoy Britain's Got Talent. Uh, it doesn't matter if you don't enjoy it, but we enjoy that. I think it's good family entertainment. Some of the things that uh, that are done and are able to be achieved, absolutely incredible. Then it got to wherever it did in the programme, and there was suddenly this this stop that Anton Deck, who were hosting the programme, uh, the TV show, uh, said, right, we're now going to do nothing for the next 60 seconds. We want you to turn to one another with whoever it is that you're gathered with and to talk with one one another. Go. Well, we didn't actually do that in our house at all because we were so thrown by this this sudden invasion of primetime TV to do nothing other than talk with those who were around you. Now, it's not for us to say, ah, yes, but I was on my own. I wouldn't have been able to have anybody to talk to or whatever, but it, it stuck with me. And the reason that, uh, that, that this was being introduced was, was really a part of a mental well-being um, initiative that ITV is supporting in partnership over the next five years with a charity called Mind. We actually have that charity who meet here and do a variety of, of really good work on a Tuesday evening. You may well have not been uh, aware of that. So the encouragement being that because of some of the issues increasingly that young people and children uh, have over anxiety and depression, etc., etc., and that's shooting up, it seems, at uh, quite a phenomenal rate, there's more of an encouragement, that's the, the aim of the campaign, to get Britain talking. So Britain Get Talking may well have been something that you've seen emblazoned in, uh, in the, uh, the newspapers or on a TV screen or where have you. And it just got me thinking that as valuable as that is, and we're thinking about the encouragement for Britain, get talking. What we're thinking about here as church is this whole encouragement of church, get talking. Now, that's not to decry the national initiative uh, that ITV are having with MIND. It's a great initiative. I think uh, that's uh, to be uh, applauded. But alongside that, can we not use that strap line but think of something that is going to add to our own effectiveness to increase our own sense of being encouraged to pray? You'll be aware a few months back where we uh, were realising that people weren't turning up at our monthly um, prayer meeting, that maybe because of Cafe Church on a Saturday morning, maybe because of sh shift of venue, we used to meet at the quiet space, now meeting here, and maybe with umpteen other things going on, that kind of like lost its way and gone under the radar a little bit. And we thought, well, maybe it's just uh, meeting at the wrong time uh, or on the wrong day. So we asked the church, and some of you would have been there, where I tentatively asked the membership of the church mid-flow at our AGM, uh, can we just take a, a straw poll? Uh, can you uh, ask, just as a hands up, who here thinks it's good for us as a church to pray corporately together? Well, I don't think I need to tell you what the response was, because everybody put their hands up. Of course it's good for us as the people of God to pray together. Excellent, I said. How many people do you think turned up at our last uh, premiere? And I think there were three or four. And so, of course, everybody that put their hand up immediately went, don't catch my eye, Roger. <laughs> and so we issued out a bit of a challenge, but a challenge that we wanted to be honest about the fact that times and days when people are around is quite difficult. 
And so we asked members to feed back to us. Tell us when's the best day, best time. And we came up with eight and we had a trial uh, for eight different occasions through May and June, I believe it was, uh, uh, that we, we could meet together as church. We've got about 150 members and we had at maximum 5% of the membership at any of those eight meetings, uh, which wasn't brilliantly encouraging. But light bulb moment that I think we had when we talked about this as, uh, as elders was it's not that we're not a church that, that doesn't pray or, or anything, but actually we maybe don't do particularly well with yet another meeting. So we're going to stop. And we've stopped our monthly prayer meeting. We've stopped our prayer life group. But we're seeking to increase the sense of culture that lies um, undergirding all that we do, really, in terms of us being a prayerful church. So with that in mind, we scrapped what was going to be our teaching series between now and Christmas. And we're going to be looking, as Gerald's already alluded to, to a two-month series on prayer. A whole variety of different occasions in both Old and New Testament where God's people experience prayer in different ways and in different formats. Usually, over the uh, recent years, we've been um, uh, developing the same theme over the course of the weekend and have just done that in slightly different uh, ways in a more open way on a Saturday morning and then developing from the Sunday morning into the Sunday evening. But we're going to be taking different elements of prayer, both Sunday morning and Sunday evening, as we continue between now and Christmas. If I was to say to you, Deomi, Erato, Ukomai, Parak, Desis, Antusiax, Prosumio, or process. I wonder what you think. Firstly, you'd think, Roger, whatever language you're talking, your accent is not very good. This was a sheet of paper that was handed to me from a word study that somebody did about prayer. Those are all different words that mean prayer. Pray, or prayer, or praying in the Greek. We've just got the one, haven't we? We just talk about prayer. So there's a whole array of different meanings to what we may well understand by prayer whereas i guess most of us we think of oh we were taught to put our hands together taught to close our eyes taught to have our heads down but maybe just maybe god is a bit bigger than that and the whole concept of prayer is a bit bigger than that and hopefully my own prayer and hope is that we'll discover that and that i will do uh, as well um, because this is a, a subject that i don't find easy as i've probably alluded to from time to time over the years so this isn't do as i do it's do as i say because i want to be sat there receiving this encouragement that together we might be on a journey and reflect uh, what it means better to be a church of prayer that's by way of introduction if you've got the book of acts open then please do keep it open if you close it up sorry about that i should have said now we've read from acts chapter two do keep your finger or a bookmark in that page because we're going to be journeying through uh, the book of acts um, the, the, this evening. Uh, we thought about um, it in a very broad sense this morning. I wanted us to think from starting from scratch. What is prayer? What is it really all about? 
Why do we pray? But let's be honest about some of the big problems and the hurdles and the struggles that we all have when it comes to prayer. And we all recognise that there are tensions, don't we? Four people do. Okay, the rest of you can write me an email this week as to how you've got it completely sorted. Let me just throw in, as I did this morning, a couple of the tensions that exist. Somebody's not very well. We pray for them, or that that person's prayed for, and they get better. And so we say, by way of Christian response, isn't God great? God has answered prayer. Somebody else has the same illness or health issue. They receive prayer, maybe even from the same person, or maybe from somebody else, but they die. Do we then conclude God is no longer a great God, he's failed No, we've got to kind of explain it away and talk about something uh, in the context of, well, it wasn't God's will. And if we push either of those two extremes too far, we're going to feel very, very uncomfortable. What it does bring to the surface is a shallowness of faith. We want to say the right things so that we feel more secure in ourselves. It's not an easy subject. You may well have been involved in praying one prayer for somebody and and there's been a good response. But what about when there hasn't, when the rubber hits the road? Because that's where there's a tension, isn't it? Not that long ago, um, just pausing, just just think whether or not this is so... I'll I'll try and phrase it in a way that you can't track uh, what this is to do with. I had the opportunity to speak to somebody that had not previously maybe had an opportunity to hear the gospel, was given that opportunity for the following day. I was rejoicing in that, but before the following day came, that person's life ended. How do you think I felt? I praise God for the opportunity he'd given. I'll be honest with you, I was pretty miffed. Don't you realise, God, that I've, I've got the, the answer in your word? That I... Now, actually, I've worked that through now because God was probably ahead of me <laughs> and I need to trust him to that end. But can you connect a little bit with that tension? It's not just flippant and easy, is it, that we pray God answers and let's all kind of feel nice and cosy and fluffy and then go home. It isn't like that. So we're going to be exploring some of those difficulties that we see uh, as well um, in, uh, in terms uh, of prayer. So now we're getting to the Gospel uh, of Acts, if you like. Acts of the Apostles or maybe what could have been called Acts of the Holy Spirit because that's what we see right the way through the 28 chapters of Acts where there are only over 20 uh, references to Christians or the church praying. So we're going to look at each of those references. We're not going to be here till midnight. It's not going to be a biblical exposition of all those verses. And as uh, this morning, we were just really shooting off some main themes about where we're likely to, to be going. Um, so this morning, I think that's this morning. So I need prayer. You can tell that. So that this evening, we're going to just journey through the book of Acts. Why? Because this was just after God's spirit had come upon that group of people that became the very first church. What did that first church do? 
we get to see that from verses 42 to 47. Fantastically exciting verses. There are about 17 different things that were occurring as a byproduct of God's Spirit coming upon his people as that first church then started. One of those things that you can see in the very first verse, in verse 42, was they devoted themselves. This wasn't just a flippant thing. They devoted themselves. If you devote yourself to something, you're highly committed, highly charged. You're passionate about it. Dick was sharing about this money course. He's been involved for eight years. He's even leaving the comforts of the Baptist church to come into foreign territory of Dorchester Community Church and lovingly and graciously share about this course. Why? Because he's devoted to the the practical benefits of this course. The church devoted themselves to what? To teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, that's communion that we would tend to call that, and to prayer no surprise it was there right at the very beginning therefore we ought to discover from that that if that was important for them there then then it must be important for ourselves as well now some people would would say at the the earlier part of that uh, uh, chapter chapter 2 verse 1 where we read there uh, that they were all together in one place that they probably wouldn't have been all together in one place and not prayed there's no explicit reference to whether or not they did or didn't pray i'll let you debate that over coffee if you like but what we do know is the first specific reference to the church praying was as soon as god's spirit had come in power upon them then there was that sense of them praying uh, straight away so turn on with me now to chapter four chapter four as i say some of these bits we're going to go through very very uh, quickly you'll be pleased to know that all the reference are in chronological order so you haven't got to be going backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards at all so chapter four and verse 24 onwards which is following the leaders having been persecuted and what do they do and this is and there's been this sense of persecution Well, the first thing they did, we read from verse 24 onwards, was that they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So they considered themselves worthy to be uh, persecuted. And as you go through that prayer, which we're not going to do this evening, but you can read it at your leisure or read it right now if you're a quick reader. There's worship. There's an acknowledgement of the greatness of God. There's reminding God of what his word said. And they then make known their requests uh, for boldness and for God to act in power through them. Verse uh, 29 and verse 30. And we then see what the response was or what the, the outcome of that uh, prayer was on that occasion in verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. <sighs> We probably don't want that to happen in a new building, do we? Many of us will get a bit upset about that. Something so powerful must have been going on. It's put here in the word of God for a reason. At the very least, we can deduce that prayer was certainly powerful. They prayed not for the unconverted to be saved. They prayed for boldness that they would be able to speak to other people. And tell them, recognising they had a responsibility to be witnesses. 
but they also pray, God, would you stretch out your hand to heal and perform miracles and signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They knew that that was going to be a big shop window uh, for them. Let's move on to chapter 6. Chapter 6 and verse uh, 4, where we, receive, where we see there about the work of the apostles, and then there's a, a practical uh, need that comes in, and the leaders are rushing around like headless chickens, not able to do everything that needs to be done, and that's where we then get the calling of the first uh, deacons, which in, in true uh, Baptist church uh, uh, historical fashion would very often be seven deacons, because there's seven uh, recorded here, uh, but but often Baptist churches would reflect a model for church leadership that's because uh, that's my own root stick, so I can say that with uh, with a degree of uh, nostalgia uh, attached. Uh, elders and deacons, you've got it there in Acts chapter six. But so what? What was the reason, just specifically for the elders, for the for the uh, the leaders there, so that we will then give our attention to what two things? Two things that were primary for the leaders: prayer. And the ministry of the word. Prayer and the ministry of the word of God. And then we move on from chapter to chapter 7. Where you've got the uh, the first martyr there uh, called uh, Stephen. Uh, so this wasn't the reason that we named our own uh, son called Stephen. He was quite pleased when he discovered uh, that his uh, name was in the Bible and he could boast over his sister whose name is Gemma and her name isn't in the Bible. And that was all great until he realised what happened to Stephen and he wasn't then so happy about that at all. But what did Stephen do in chapter 7 and verse 59 while they were stoning him? Now that doesn't sound a pleasurable experience. The build up in the preceding verses wasn't that good. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. Lord Jesus, receive my Spirit. Chapter 8, probably over the page in your Bible, uh, we read there in verse 15 that believers would receive the Holy Spirit following prayer ministry. When they arrive, this is people who were followers, this is an interesting theological uh, conundrum. When they, uh, when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. And again, you can talk amongst yourself the coffee if you like about, well, where was the Holy Spirit in these believers beforehand? What we do know is, this is a context for our own uh, thinking this evening, is something occurred that was of value following prayer ministry. And very often that was that was followed in the, the book of Acts by uh, God's people then speaking in tongues. There was a visible reaction very often following uh, prayer. Verse 24, we then got this character uh, of Simon. Now Simon saw what had occurred in response to prayer ministry and thought, wow, I want some of that. How much money, there's that subject to get the money, how much money have I got to pay to get this gift? Well, he was rebuked for it, but what did he say as an, his own act of confession? Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen. That sense of uh, his wrong attitude and asking God to intervene, knowing that for there to be forgiveness, Prayer was the root and the means for that 
to occur. All sorts of different prayers going on here that we've got in God's word. We've then got in verse 11 of chapter 9 uh, uh, following. Chapter 9 and verse 11 onwards. Where Saul sees God speak to him about Ananias coming uh, to heal him. He says that the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And there's a response to Paul's prayer. And and, uh, and obviously Ananias was a bit surprised as to this person called Saul that he'd not heard good things about. But we then can follow that journey through and you can as to how God answered that prayer and Saul became Paul. Paul became one of the bedrocks of the uh, Christian church as we know. But there was prayer there right in the beginning. Let's move on from there to verse 40. To verse 40 where we've then got a prayer or the uh, healing prayer by Peter, one of the apostles uh, for Dorcas, or you may have the name Tabitha uh, in your uh, in your Bible. It's the same uh, name who had died. But what do we read? Verse forty. Peter sent uh, them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees. On that occasion, he felt that was right, or he was told to get down on his knees, or that was his act of submission, and he prayed. Tabitha, get up was what he then said to the woman. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? If you're following and thinking about prayer for healing. Yes, he got down and he prayed, and our prayer is directed to who? To God. But then notice there's direct wording to the woman that he was wanting to see God heal. There's all sorts of theological uh, tangents that we could go down, and I'm deliberately not going to do that. I just want to ruffle some feathers constructively that you think, oh, I want to go back to that. That's in chapter 9, verse 40. What about chapter 10, where we've got this great guy called Cornelius? Cornelius wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. (gasps) Surely somebody that's not one of God's people. Well, this was a massive uh, challenge from the word go, initially for uh, the, uh, the Christian uh, church but we read in verse 4 uh, the angels that appeared to Cornelius and spoke to him said your prayers and gifts to the poor have come out as a memorial offering before God so here was um, uh, was Cornelius not one of God's people not a Jew and yet his prayers indeed were heard but his prayer was also now accompanied by what his action his gifts for the poor and the church is to reflect those two things isn't it not just to be involved in the doing good things whether it's a money course or practical health project or the food share thing or whether or not it's the the prayer element it's not just we do that uh, being on our knees in prayer or do all the good work stuff actually we ought to um, bring those two together there ought to be a harmony and a partnership uh, there as well what does peter do well chapter 10 and verse 9 we read there that he went up on the roof to pray something that ian's not going to do on his conservatory because it's now got a hole in hasn't it ian yeah don't do that don't read verse 9 and think this is what i need to do you'll have an even bigger hole in your roof to deal with for whatever reason um cornelius uh, sorry um, peter went up uh, on the roof uh, to pray 
There was a specific time alone that he wanted to have with his God. And we thought a little bit this morning about how Jesus went off to solitary places on his own to find time where he could just have that one-to-one with his father. Let's move on to chapter 12. You still there? Still there? Good. Excellent. Chapter 12. Chapter 12 and verse 5. We've got the church who are there praying for Peter in jail. Peter was kept in prison, uh, but the church were earnestly praying to God for him. It's good for the church to earnestly pray, isn't it? We're going to just pause very quickly because I know, Julie, you were very unwell this morning. It's pretty miraculous that you're even here, uh, I know. Um, Lisa Knight had a a, a dreadful back um, uh, today and was unable to move and unable uh, to be um, at church. I had another um, text that came through about someone in desperate need of prayer, and I've forgotten who they are, but God knows that. So we're going to pause to pray for Julie, for Lisa, because that was before we had an opportunity to let everybody know in email or welcome sheet. We're just going to pause and pray. Father God, we commit to you, Julie, I know she's been unwell uh, with the, uh, the diabetes uh, issue through this last couple of weeks. And I know the energy levels were down and she was feeling quite faint this morning. We thank you that she's here. God, we pray for rest that is deep rest. We pray for any um, intervention from the medical uh, world that would completely sort out what the root of the problem is so that she would indeed be made well. And God, for dear Lisa, who's unaware of us praying for her right now, we pray that you'd surround her with your presence and that she would feel loved by you and captured up uh, within your uh, loving arms. And we pray that you minister uh, your your healing touch to her, even as we pray. Uh, For the person whose name escapes me uh, now, that got another text this afternoon, God, would you move in response uh, to that individual? May there be... Um, uh, a healing touch for them. Uh, also, was in touch with, with Gary um, over today and yesterday. Remember Gary Redfern waiting for an operation at, uh, at Salisbury Hospital, another operation, but because of uh, his having flu, he's gone now to the bottom of a waiting list. God, we pray that your grace would be all sufficient for Gary and that um, the speed that with which the, um, uh, the new... Um, operation time would would occur would come forward a lot quicker than he's anticipating may he and jackie know your touch in jesus precious name amen whatever it is that we hear about let's be church when we're gathered and turn those things to god in prayer there'll be a group meeting um tomorrow morning um with ian's uh, life group believers gathering together Build in prayer. I'm sure you do anyway. As something that is a natural part of what is it that God is saying to us? What is it that we can be earnest in, in terms of those immediate needs of the church? Chapter 12 and verse 12. Uh, We've got there the the gathering of a group of people. A group of people were gathered around a particular home and they were doing what? Well, same, uh, same situation, but this group were praying. Maybe it was a life group in and of its day. And one of the things they did in that home amidst their study, their encouragement, maybe some food, who knows. But they were making sure they were also praying. Let's move on to chapter 13 and a wider uh, sphere uh, of um, 
uh, of the church gathering together. Chapter 13, where Barnabas and Saul were given a specific uh, ministry. And this is what we read in verse 2, which is an interesting verse. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So again, for you to just have a little bit of a stirring about what was going on. How did God's Holy Spirit speak those words? That's what I want you to think about. We're going to move on because verse 3 is what I want us to pick up. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So that sense of commissioning people for a specific task or a new uh, ministry is a good and helpful and right uh, thing to do. We can debate how God's Holy Spirit specifically uh, spoke and we can, I'm sure, speculate as well. But there was the importance of a laying on of hands. That sense of God blessing that individual for whatever that that work or act of service uh, was. And it struck me since our recent members meeting where we've welcomed in two new deacons, two new elders. Actually, one of the things that as a church together we've not done is commission these guys, uh, which we ought to do that, I think. It just popped into my head this week and going through uh, the book of Acts. Oh, yep, we do need to do that. Do pray for Glyn and for Martin as elders, and for Charlene and for Paul uh, in their role as deacons as well. Chapter 14, the next chapter. Paul, and uh, verse 23, verse 23. Yeah, chapter 14, verse 23. Paul and Barnas, Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Now there's a whole host of stuff that we've missed out. Basically God is doing his business and going zap with groups of individuals and different people groups as the gospel is being shared. People are believing, they're turning to Jesus Christ. And what happens when you've got that new group of people? Well Paul and Barnabas are then about to, to, to move on elsewhere. Somebody's got to become a leader in that church. If you're praying for, you know, we read in Acts chapter 2, uh, the 3,000 that came to faith in a day. Well, if we had 3,000 that became Christians in Poundbury tomorrow, you would probably all have to become small group leaders overnight. You do realise that, don't you? How are we going to disciple 3,000 people unless you're prepared to do that? Oh, but I, I, I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know what to... Hang on a minute. What about what was going on here? The church was only maybe days old. And people were then being appointed as elders and leaders in these new churches. Don't we believe that those who God has called, he equips? Of course we do. So it was right then that Paul and Barnabas prayed for them before moving on uh, and then spreading the word yet further. Chapter 16. Chapter 16. We're moving on. You know how many chapters there are in Acts, so you know we've got a little bit of a way to go. I'll have to speed up. Um, right, chapter 16, verse 13. They were looking here for a specific place of prayer where we expected to find a place of prayer. You can pray anywhere. As uh, we burst out into song, the Martini advert this morning. Anytime, any place, anywhere. And that's true uh, for prayer. But there is a specific place that they were looking for, they felt would be of value for that sense of closeness 
to God. Seek to maybe cultivate that. Chapter 16, verse 25, Paul and Silas now are in uh, the context there is for them being in prison. It's round about midnight. I don't know what you're like at midnight. I'm pretty tired if I'm not already asleep, so probably a bit grumpy. It's been a long day, but they're also in prison. I don't know if you've been in prison. I've not been in prison other than a day visit or to go in doing a, a service or anything like that. But it doesn't strike me as the sort of place that uh, I have a, a very positive uh, atmosphere. What were Paul and Silas doing in prison? Well, there was that sense of them praising and praying. Wow. Despite those circumstances that they were in. Now we're going to skip some chapters because we get to chapter 20 where Paul prayed when he was leaving the believers uh, then behind. And there was that emotional uh, farewell as he went to, uh, to say goodbye. But what did he do for the people he was leaving behind? He chose to kneel down, we read in chapter 20, verse 36, and he then prayed for the believers there. The church at Tyre in chapter 21, including the women and the children, prayed this time with Paul, uh, we read, uh, before he then left. It wasn't just him praying for them. They may be praying then for him as well. And then we're going to skip on some other cha uh, chapters to verse 26, to verse 26 and verse 29. Verse 29, where Paul is there in conversation with Agrippa. Agrippa said to Paul, and he was somewhat a bit miffed here as Agrippa was showing a little bit of interest in what Paul was saying. Uh, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, well, short time or long. I pray, God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. That sense of boldness in prayer for the salvation of all who hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Paul sees and discerns uh, God's um, word being at work. And then chapter 27 and verse 29 where there's uh, the, uh, the shipwreck uh, that's going on and the, the soldiers are uh, fearing for their lives. What happened in verse 29? Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern. And what did they do? Uh, for daylight, they prayed for daylight. That sense of a prayer of desperation. We were uh, chatting uh, around our table on Saturday morning uh, about on the, the beaches of Dunkirk, there wasn't a single atheist. Alongside that, I've heard a similar uh, line where somebody um, uh, said that the phrase that there are very few atheists in cancer wards. What can we deduce from those two kind of speculative statements when there's nothing else we can do and nowhere else we can go? Even people that have claimed maybe for their whole life to not have faith are going to then be crying out to the God that for their whole life, for some people, they've chosen to not believe. But if there's nothing else, what are they going to do? Many then do turn uh, to God, don't they? And lastly, I think it's the last verse, chapter 28, chapter 28 and verse 8. We've got there, Paul uh, then uh, was with a, a father 
uh, was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on the man and healed him. Now, I don't know if you've been able to kind of like uh, gather all of that stuff up in terms of the prayer that was going on. Suffice to say, it's been quite deliberately fast that there wasn't just one prayer, was there? It wasn't just prayer equals one thing at all, was it? Prayer was very varied. And that's what I want us to take uh, um, away from this introduction to prayer. And we just got that in just the beginning few months or years of the early church. Sounds great, doesn't it? They had it all so good, didn't they, the early church? Well, were they problem free? No. There were two particular instances where within the early church that we read in the book of Acts, I'm not talking about Paul's letters, uh, where he kind of tut-tutted certain churches in different ways, where we read through the books of Acts that there were serious rifts in the church. Can you think of what those two instances were? Circumcision. Uh, circumcision? That, that, that's, that's probably the first time we've had that shouted out in a church congregation. <laughs> Acts chapter 15. That's right, that whole, uh, if we take hold of that word, the context for that being that those who were Jewish followers of Jesus were saying, well, surely they, they need to have the, the, outward, um, uh, the outward sign of that, that they are one of God's people, whereas Gentile believers were thinking, well, surely all we need to do is come to Jesus and we're converted to follow, follow him. These two people groups were at loggerheads and there's this major uh, council that, that's held as a result. The other uh, verse we get is in the same chapter, verse 39. There was an argument that's worded there as such a strong argument between Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. But Paul's this amazing guy and Barnabas is this amazing encourager. What happened with this strong argument? Paul went which way? That way. Which way did Barnabas go? Exactly the opposite way. Do you know what the common denominator is in those two instances? There is no record of there being any prayer. Now, we could say that that is just speculation. And that's fair comment. Because Acts pre uh, de describes what went on as opposed to prescribes everything as to how we uh, might, uh, uh, must be. But I thought that was quite poignant. Maybe there's something of significance. These two only instances of, of major divisive bombs going off in the early church in Acts, there appears to be, there's no record of prayer. Now you're going to want to go home and read in between the, the, the lines, aren't you, of Acts chapter 15. You won't see it there. Well, maybe there's something within that for us. Here's just as we close. Seven points I want to make. And I'll read these just as, as sentences. Prayer must be a part of the Christian's life. God forgive me when it isn't. If I'm too busy to pray, I'm too busy. Secondly, prayer confirms our reliance and trust in God, not in ourselves. Thirdly, 
Prayer can be at any time, any place or anywhere. If you're in a conversation with somebody tonight and something comes up that's kind of, whether it's a doctor's appointment or something you're concerned about, why not say, tell you what, why don't we pray about it? Just do it in a line. Don't get all hung up about, oh, I've never prayed out loud before. I don't know what words to use. Who cares? Just God. Who are we talking to? We're not talking to the other person. We're talking to God. And it's a heart thing, isn't it? Fourthly, prayer expresses our worship and our seriousness to God. You'll see through the book of Acts that we've gone through that prayer was sometimes thanking, sometimes praising, sometimes fasting, sometimes pleading. I guess some of those words that I read out uh, in my appalling Greek uh, accent would have uh, alluded to some of those things. Uh, I'll do my own study on that and see what comes out. That'll be interesting. Fifthly, prayer has the potential the potential for both prevention and cure. You know, sometimes we wait until the horse has bolted and then think, oh, should have prayed about that. And we're praying for something and there's already kind of like a mess. Whereas if there's prayer beforehand, that can make such a difference. I've lost count of the number of meetings I've not looked forward to because I've known some of the stuff that's going to be hard to deal with in that meeting or something that's going to have to be said. And given that to God, and for whatever reason, and it certainly isn't the brilliance of my wisdom, but there's been something of God doing something that was completely unexplained in that meeting. I've also known where I've maybe not prayed or not prayed as I should and stuff's gone pear-shaped and I've deserved that. We need to recognise, don't we, the power of prayer, not just for cure, but for prevention. Sixthly, prayer is the means of our receiving from God. Think about how God has provided for you. Think about the gift of your forgiveness. That was a prayer away. Your salvation, God's Holy Spirit, your healing, his guidance for you. Oh, just a prayer away. Prayer is the means for our receiving. That, and you can add to that list, I'm sure. And seventhly, prayer is also a channel for God to speak to us. And we'll be thinking about that later on in this series uh, as well. It's not just a one-way thing. Other world religions have a prayer equals me trying to get through to God, me trying to reach God. But if we're patient and we're still, and if Roger shuts his mouth for long enough, maybe, just maybe, this God that we worship will indeed speak to us. Let's pray. God, it's amazing to think that you would welcome any kind of relationship with us at all. But we thank you that you love us that much. That you want that relationship. And for any relationship to work, we know that involves talking and listening. And as there's going to be the Britain's get, Britain Gets Talking uh, initiative that we'll be hearing about, seeing on TV and things like that, and probably reading articles about May it act as a gentle reminder alongside that worthy cause to us. 
of the power, importance and priority of our own talking and indeed listening to you, loving, gracious, heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen.